Merry Christmas. Glad you're here this morning. Um, I can't wait to tell you this story. It's like one of those preacher stories, but it really did happen. We partner as a church with the Youth Sheriff Ranch. It's a mile away from here. And as we've gotten very involved with the Youth Sheriff Ranch before that, I thought youth, sheriff, and ranch meant they were troubled kids. How many in the room thought the Youth Sheriff Ranch was full of troubled kids? It's not. I was shocked to find out it's, it's from troubled parents. And the reason these kids are there, they're great kids. They're wonderful children. But their parents have imploded. Their home life has imploded. And so we as a church go there on Monday nights. It's one of the things that we do. And a whole team of our musicians and singers go there and teach music lessons and vocal lessons. Well, one of the young girls who's there has been telling her piano teacher for the last three months, I'm going home for Christmas. Now, this little girl has a sister there and two brothers. So there's four kids at the Youth Sheriff Ranch, all from the same family, two girls and two boys. And she's been telling for the last three months, I'm going to my aunt and uncles. My aunt and uncle are going to adopt us. And so when you hear a story like that from a kid, you go, gosh, I hope it's real. I hope it's true because you know that's what she wants. And sure enough, this past Thursday, all the legal adoption came through. The aunt and the uncle come to the youth sheriff ranch with a van and a U-Haul, and they load up all four of these kids, and on Friday, they take off. And the, the music teacher just happened to be there as they're all leaving. And she said they had tears in their eyes, but smiles on their face. What a story of Christmas. And so that's really what Christmas is all about, isn't it? Isn't it Christmas a story of hope? Now, I'm sure there's some of you in this room that need a little bit of hope. Would you raise a little bit of a hand if you need some hope today? How many of us need a lot of hope today? How many of us are lying? We need both hands up in the air right now. And so we, we come to the story of Christmas. And this is what's so amazing about the Christmas story is it is truly a story of hope. Now, it didn't begin that way. When Isaiah is prophesying in Isaiah chapter 9, it was rather bleak. And so 700 years later, this prophecy will come true. But when he is predicting this, it was a dark time in Jewish-Israelite history. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light, a light is coming. It'll come 700 years from now. You have enlarged the nation. You've increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder. None of this has happened yet, but it's going to in the future. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressors. Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled up in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. For to us, a child will be born, is born. To us, a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. And he will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forevermore. And the zeal of the Lord God Almighty will accomplish this. So this prophecy, 700 years from that, was fulfilled. Here comes Gabriel. He's in the temple with Zechariah. Zechariah and Elizabeth are old. They're barren. They can't have children. And he tells Zechariah, it's back on. Your wife's going to have a son. 
And you're going to call him John. We're going to nickname him the Baptist. So he's John the B. And so John the Baptist will be born. And he's the forerunner of the Messiah. Maybe that's the first social media, how it all got started. I don't know. But he's the marketer. He's the communicator. That same angel, Gabriel, then comes to Mary and says, Mary, you're the chosen one. You will bear a son, and he will be the Messiah, and he will save the people from their sins. And so here we are today, 2,000 years later, and what's our hope? Do we have hope today? Well, here's what the Apostle Paul says. The Apostle Paul says, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace. So if you look at that, God equals hope. Say that with me. God equals hope. A little more passion. God equals hope. One more time. God equals hope. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope. I don't know your hope quotient today. I don't know how much hope you have. I don't know how 2017 was. I don't know if you've come in here today going, you know, I don't have a whole lot of hope. But I do know there is a Father in heaven who can fill you with hope and that you can overflow with hope. And that's what the writer of Hebrews, whoever he is, the writer of Hebrews said these words, we have this hope as an anchor for the soul. Now, everybody in this room is desperate. We're desperate to anchor our souls to someone and to something we can trust. doesn't matter, male, female, American, Indian, Asian, Japanese, Chinese, Everybody in the world wants to anchor their souls to something and to someone that they can put their trust in. And you and I are absolutely no different. The question is not, are we looking to anchor our souls? The question is, where and to whom will we anchor our souls? Now, tomorrow's Christmas, right? So I got my dates right. Tomorrow's the big day. All right. So let's say that you've been praying and researching boats for a long time. And, and tomorrow, you know, Christmas Day, maybe not under the tree, but out in the front yard or in the driveway, your dream boat shows up. All right? Can we pray about that maybe for some of you? Yeah? Amen? We'll, we'll, we'll pray about that. And, and you got then the very next phone call is to your best friend. Now, how's that phone call going to go? The first 15 or 20 minutes, it doesn't matter if it's a flat boat, it's an offshore boat, doesn't matter if it's a sailboat, doesn't matter if it's a cruiser, whatever boat has just popped into your front yard, and you've got a phone call to that friend of yours, what are the features that you're going to talk about with your friend? You're going to say, man, you wouldn't believe the motor, or maybe it's, you know, a great big boat, it's two 450 Volvos, or it's a 125 outboard Suzuki, or it's an Evinrude, or it's a Yamaha. You're going to talk about how fast it will go. You might talk about how pretty it is. My wife likes it. It's baby blue, or it's yellow, or it's white, or you might talk about the seats, the electronics. Oh, man, you, the fish don't have a prayer. We can see a fork, you know, the fork, we can see a fork 80 feet down from the bottom. You're going to talk about the electronics, the feature that you probably are not going to talk about, the feature that probably will not come up in the first 15 minutes of that is this right here, the anchor. I doubt that any of you men or women, well, I'm not going to count the women out. The women may want a boat too. My wife loves boats. You're not going to talk about the anchor the first 15 minutes. You're going to talk about how fast it can go, the electronics, the outrigger, the motor. You're going to talk about everything but the anchor. Am I right? The anchor is not going to come up the first 15 minutes. And yet the anchor is absolutely essential if you're going to learn 
to become a boater. Um, I had a fishing trip planned, four or five of us guys from the church. We had a trip planned uh, this past July before Hurricane Irma. Uh, we had a trip planned about two and a half weeks ago to Key West. And so in July, it sounded like a great idea. In July, Key West was looking pretty good. Irma comes through, does a number. The marinas are open, but um, the housing just didn't work out. So we decided to fish here. This was like two and a half, three weeks ago. Do you remember what happened like three weeks ago? We had our three days of winter. (laughs) We do have seasons here in Florida. They just don't last but about 72 hours, right? So we have seasons. So one guy's flying in from town. Other guys are all here local. So we're going to fish, you know, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. Wednesday was awesome. We go out 15 or 17 miles. I'm not going to tell you how far we were. I'll break bread with you, but I won't give you my fishing numbers. So we go out, and I really don't remember how far it was. It was either 15 or 17. We go out there. It's so calm. It's so flat. We kept 60 legal fish. It was so easy to anchor. You can anchor really well in calm water. The next day, Thursday, the cold front, Mother Nature, God Almighty, the fury of hell, decided to come on Thursday. (laughs) And on Thursday, we go out about, we're going to go out the same spot. And we go out about two, two and a half miles, and it's five feet waves. I mean, we have five, we stop at, at about two and a half miles, have a little huddle, and you know, we're males. We're not real mature. <laughs> we're all 50-year-old, four of us males, and we decide that we're going to go for it. We don't care. So we, you know, go out there again, it's either 15 or 17 miles, takes forever to get there, and it was so hard to anchor. I mean, it's five-foot waves, pitching, tipping, and I've had my head down now for quite a while. We missed the spot, pull up anchor, missed the spot, pull up anchor, finally get to the spot. A couple of the guys in the boat hadn't fished a whole lot. They're breaking off, getting into the rocks. I'm retying swivels, hit hooks, and, and sinkers. And, after, and I don't get seasick. I, the other guys are on the boat are on drugs. They're all drugged up, you know. They're all ready to go. And I don't take anything because I don't get seasick. Right? You know where this is coming, don't you? Okay? And so after like an hour and a half of having my head down, I look up, and of course, you know, it's pitching and tipping, and I go, oh, no, here it comes. And I am chumming the waters, and we're, I mean, I, I, I am throwing up wisdom teeth. I, 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 I'm, I'm, I lost three teeth that day in the water. And, and I, I, I thought about how this, you know, it, it's so true about the anchor, if you don't anchor well, your life's not going to go well. If you don't anchor well, your life's not going to end well. And so how in the world do we find something because we're desperate? We're desperate to anchor. Into, and, and if we don't anchor well, we're going to drift. We know how easy it is to drift, don't we? And when we don't land the spot in life where we know we're supposed to be, we drift into discouragement, and we drift into depression, and we drift into insecurity, and we drift into anxiety. And and some of you in the room, I'm talking to some of you that you've just, you've pulled up your anchor. You went to Sunday school, you went to vacation Bible school, you went to Sunday night church, you, you did, but for whatever reason, sin, temptation, a fault, a struggle, bad medical report, and you begin to question, is God good? Is God good to me? Will God take care of me? And, and for whatever reason, you, you've, you've pulled your anchor. 
I'm talking to people this morning who it is so easy for us to, and when we pull up our anchor, man, we're at the mercy of the current of culture, and we're at the mercy of whatever happens in our society. So what do we do, and how do we stay strong? Well, I have a suggestion. I have a principle I want to share with you today. In order for your anchor to hold in this world, you must sink your anchor into something and someone bigger than this world. I want you to say this out loud with me. Here we go. Ready? In order for your anchor to hold in this world, you must sink your anchor into something and someone bigger than this world. If your anchor is in someone and something, the causes and systems of this world, it's going to come up. It won't hold. And you then will be sorely disappointed. Now, here's plan A. Here's God's plan A for your life. It starts in Luke chapter 2. In Luke chapter 2, it says there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. And the angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were terrified, but the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I would be afraid. Would you be afraid? I would be freaked out if angels came to me, right? You would too. Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. This is for everyone. Everyone can have the forgiveness of their sins. Today in the town of David, the Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth, peace to those in whom his favor rests. He came to bring hope. Now, I want to read some passages right now that we never read at Christmas time, but they're in the Christmas story. And he gave hope to this older man, Zechariah. And Zechariah, remember, was in the temple. Gabriel shows up, Elizabeth, barren, and he's older. And now he's got hope. Listen to the hope of this older man, Zechariah. His father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come to his people and redeemed them. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. They are slaves to the Romans. They are subjugated. They do not have freedom. But this man has hope in his life. Salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us. To show mercy to our ancestors. To remember his holy covenant, the oath he swore to our father Abraham to rescue us from the hand of our enemies, and to enable us to serve him without fear and holiness and righteousness before him all the days. And you, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High. For you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him, to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins. Here's a man who lived in an era that did not have hope. Here's a man who medically and physically did not have hope. Now listen to the hope of Mary. Now, think about Mary. She's in this dead-end town. She's in Nazareth. She's not getting out of Nazareth. She's going to be limited. There's a scope of her influence in this ability. Look at the hope that Mary has. And Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has been humble of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the Mighty One has done great things for me. And she says, Holy is his name. Wow. Well, let me ask you some questions this morning. The question is not, are you going to let your anchor down? You are. Everybody in the room is going to put their anchor into something and into someone. That's absolutely universally true. So the question is not, are you going to let your anchor down? 
The question is, you, you are going to let your anchor down. But where? Where will you let your anchor down? Well, will you put your anchor into politics? Now, why would anybody? See, he's crying already because he's thinking about politics. <laughs> why would anybody put their anchor into politics? Now, I think you should vote. I think you should keep up on things. But, but, but do you want to sink your anchor into politics? Why would anybody put their anchor into their vocation? Your business, you got to work, you got to go to work, you got to make money. But, but why would you sink it into a vocation? That may be sold, that may become obsolete. Sooner or later, you're going to have to retire and check out. I'm not saying you shouldn't work hard, you should work really hard. But why would you sink your anchor into your business? And why would you sink your anchor into money? At the end of your life, it all like monopoly, what? It goes back in the box. And even, even the pleasures of this world, I'm all for fishing and boating and water skiing and vacation. I'm all for that. But why would you sink your anchor into those pleasures of this life? And, and why would you sink your anchor even into family? Now, I got a great family, love my wife of 33 years, love my children, two son-in-laws, love them all. But, but think about family. I'm not saying you shouldn't work at family. I'm saying, why would that be your anchor? You see, someday your children are going to move, and somebody's going to disappoint you. And even if you've been married for 50 years, one of you is going to die before the other. And then what are you going to do? What will you do when she dies and she was your anchor? What will you do when he dies and he was your anchor? The question is not, are you going to let your anchor down? The question always is, where are you going to put your anchor? We all let our anchors down. This is all of us. This isn't me, by the way. I wanted to do this. I wanted to get a GoPro, but I realized how cold the water was. So I said, we're going to buy this. This is much cheaper and easier to buy. But this is you. Everybody in this world is going to let their anchor down. That, that's not the question. What if, just what if, you decided to put your anchor into the Alpha and the Omega? What if you decided to put your anchor in the Almighty God? What, what would your life be like if you decided to put your life into the bread of life, the bright and morning star? What would it look like if you decided to set your anchor into the chosen one, the chief cornerstone? What if you decided to put your anchor into Emmanuel, God with us, the prophet, the priest, the resurrection and the life, the Savior of the world, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. What if you put your life into the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world? Would that anchor hold? Would that give you hope? Well, let's talk about some people who really didn't have much hope and what their lives tended to look like. Lock him up, beat him up, shipwreck him, and you have the Apostle Paul. Deafen him, and you have Ludwig von Beethoven. Cripple him, and you have the writer and novelist Sir Walter Scott. Raise him in poverty, and you have an Abraham Lincoln. Burn him, 
And his legs, doctors say, will never work again. And you have the fastest miler in 1934, Glenn Cunningham. Strike him with polio. And you have a Franklin Delano Roosevelt. Have her being born in a racially culture that filled with racial issues. And you have a Rosa Parks. Label him slow and mildly retarded. And you have an Albert Einstein. My friends... Put your anchor into Christ. Put your anchor into Scripture. Put your anchor into the church. Put your anchor into Jesus. Put your anchor into the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God who fulfilled all of his prophecies and all of his promises. And you will never drift. And you will never miss your spot. Remember this. If you don't anchor well, it's not going to go well. And if you don't anchor well, you're going to miss the opportunities that God has for you in your life. The question is never, am I going to put my anchor down? You're going to do it. Everybody's going to put their anchor somewhere. The question is, will you put your anchor into someone and into something that you can absolutely trust? George Friedrich Handel undoubtedly wrote the greatest piece of music that has ever been written. And we call it Messiah or Handel's Messiah. It's been referred to as the Hallelujah Chorus. And the Hallelujah Chorus is a section within Handel's Messiah. But in 1740, George Friedrich Handel was broke and on the verge of bankruptcy and going to debtor's prison. He had one month to make some money or he was going to be in debtor's prison. Now, here's a guy that went from rags to riches, and he played before kings, and he played before the queens of of London and England. But now he is broke, he is destitute, and music has changed. His audiences are not the same. They don't want the opera anymore. And George Friedrich Handel decided to start writing some different types of music for the church. And, of course, the church goes, are you kidding me? This isn't church music. It's kind of like... Maybe that's where fake news kind of got it started. I, I, I don't know. But the church goes, I reject this. We don't want this kind of music. And so George Friedrich Handel has had two strokes. He's lost the use of his right hand, and he's right-handed. And he locks himself into his apartment studio for 24 days. And he has a waiter from the next-door restaurant bring him meals, breakfast, lunch, and dinner, breakfast, lunch, and dinner, every single day. And every time the young boy comes, the meals were barely touched, and George Friedrich Handel never spoke to him. On the 24th day, the room is filled with musical notes, musical composition. In fact, George Friedrich Handel, in 24 days, wrote 260-page manuscript. It takes an orchestra over three hours to play this incredible piece of music. The waiter comes into the room. He stares at George Friedrich Handel, and George Friedrich Handel has been in this room for 24 days, and yet he's glowing like he's been in the sun for about a year. And George Friedrich Handel looks at the waiter, and he says, I do believe, with tears streaming down his face, I do believe I have seen all of heaven itself, and I do believe I have seen the face of God himself. And he publishes this. And, of course, the church is still struggling with it. It's not that, you know, cool music. It's, you know, a little out, outlandish. And yet in, 19, in, in 1741, it was debuted for charity. And George Friedrich Handel premiered this, and it made so much money in its first concert 
that 142 men were allowed to get out of debtor's prison. And then the very next year, the king of England said, I don't care if the church embraces it or not, I'm going to go listen to it. And the king of England comes to this cathedral and they get to the part of that hallelujah chorus where the triumphal notes and triumphal comes about the resurrection of Christ. And the king stood and the king rose. And of course, following royal protocol, everybody in the room is going to stand. And whenever you hear or you watch the hallelujah chorus, you will notice at that part for the last two centuries, everybody stands. Well, I've asked some of our team members right now to come and sing a portion of that Hallelujah Chorus. And it's a performance piece that you can worship with and enjoy and just praise God from whom all blessings flow. But I've asked our three to come out and to share this. But I think we should stand because everybody's probably going to want to stand at the Hallelujah Chorus. So would you invite our team, listen to our team, sing a portion of that Handel Messiah.
I, uh, I actually auditioned for John Mark's part. He, he, he just barely beat me out, just, just, just barely. We're so honored that you're here. And you've shared this moment with us today. And you've shared this moment with Christ. Happy birthday, Jesus. Happy birthday, Jesus. And all of us today are going to put our anchors down somewhere. That's why we showed you that anchor dropping in the water. I want you to picture today you, where will you place your anchor? And no matter where you've had it, maybe it's not holding. Maybe the things you've tried haven't really worked. Well, if you put it in Christ, you get to have this. God's going to give you hope. He's going to fill you with joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the great Holy Spirit. And so we are asking that all of us together as a family, we put our anchors into Christ.